Welcome to the Victory Life Church podcast. We believe it's important to present an uncomplicated and uncluttered view of Christ and how we should live. We hope this podcast inspires you and helps build your faith. If you ever find yourself in the area, come check us out. For more information on services and events, visit us at vlcministries.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at VLC Plantation. Come on, isn't God good in this place? Come on. Man, I'm uh, so excited to be here as always with you and honored to preach and teach. And if you joined us last week, we, we started walking through the book of Hebrews. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to jump right into Hebrews chapter 3. Anybody got, a, anybody got an actual Bible? Come on. If you got an actual Bible, go ahead and raise it up. And I give you permission to hit somebody on the head next to you that doesn't have one. I'm just kidding. Let me just read, and this will be on the screen, and then we'll get there. But let me share with, with you what it says in Hebrews chapter 1 verse, or chapter 3 verse 1. It says, therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on who? Jesus, the apostle and the high priest whom we confess. He was faithful to the one who appointed him just as Moses was faithful in all of God's house. Jesus had been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of the house, or God is the builder of everything. You know, I know it's a little, it's a little hard to, to get up here and talk about basketball, but I wanna go back to 2012. For those, maybe you don't even care about basketball. There was something happening in the basketball world called Linsanity. And there was this young Asian-American guy by the name of Jeremy Lin who all of a sudden just started doing so well. You know, when that great athlete of yours that you're like, all of a sudden it's like they're, they're hitting their, their stage where everything's just incredible. And you're like, this is, this is unreal. This is insane. That's why it was called Linsanity. And everybody was talking about Linsanity. If you were a basketball fan, you were talking about Linsanity. If you weren't a basketball fan, you were talking, maybe not talking about Linsanity, but you probably may have heard about Linsanity going on in 2012 with this young Asian American from the New York Knicks. And I'll never forget, I remember this uh, uh, conversation. Uh, a press reporter goes up to the, the great and unfortunately gone on, but Kobe Bryant, and he sticks a microphone in Kobe Bryant's one of the greatest of all time. And he says, Kobe Bryant, have you heard about what's going on with Linsanity? crazy what's happening I mean this guy over here is just doing amazing I mean Linsanity is everything Kobe what do you think and Kobe responds and he says Linsanity who he has no idea what he's talking about he knows who this this basketball player Jeremy Lin is but he's like Linsanity who what are you talking about I just imagine this scene where the writer begins to pen this in, in Hebrews chapter three. Just imagine with me that Jesus is on stage. He just played a basketball game and, and, and his agent is next to him. Jesus has an agent, right? And, and the agent is, is answering questions and somebody goes up to the agent and says, hey, have you heard about this great and an amazing prophet named Moses? Man, he's, he's, he's everything to these people. Everybody's talking about him. And the agent says, and here's the title of this morning's message if you're taking notes. Moses who? 
are you talking about? Well, you, you got to know about Moses. He's just amazing. He's great. He's incredible. I mean, he's the founder of everything. He's just amazing. And the agent's like, Moses who? Have you considered this man I'm sitting next to right here named Jesus? Moses who? Let me pray. Father, I, I pray over these, these, these next few moments we have that these, this scripture would open us up to realize and, and gain a greater understanding, understanding of who you are and how great you are and how powerful you are and how mighty you are. You're greater than anything else on this, on this earth, Father. And sometimes we often will put other things up on a pedestal, but Lord, it's you that's great. It's you that's mighty. Would we be encouraged today of who you are and all the greatness that you are and the greatness that you represent? In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you turn to the person next to them, next to you, and ask him, who is the greatest? Who is the greatest in life? <laughs> I know that's a that's a could be a lot of things. So in the book of Hebrews, it's interesting what's going on here. And if you're if you're unsure about who the author of Hebrews is, well, let me tell you that I'm unsure as well. I don't know. In fact, we don't know. Many would say because of the personality, it probably was Paul. But we just don't know. But what I can tell you is is who it was written to. In fact, there was one writer that said the book of Hebrews is written by a Hebrew to a bunch of Hebrews to tell them to stop acting like Hebrews. That's basically what, what, what the book of Hebrews is. There's three different groups of people that the writer is addressing. You've got the believers who have just left the, the, the Jewish faith and have now stepped into believing in Jesus Christ as their Messiah. And then you've got a second group who are unbelievers who are somewhat aware of what's going on. They have somewhat of an understanding of God and, and the Messiah, but they're, they're not interested. And then you have another group of believers that is all about God. They're all about this Messiah, but they don't want to change their lives and their lifestyle to step into this relationship with the Messiah. So therefore, they are also unbelievers as well. So it's important to know who, who's, who's speaking and who they're speaking to. Now, I don't know if you received a handout, but when you walked in, there might have been a handout you received that helps you walk through some of these things through the Bible as we walk through the book of Hebrews. But all of these groups, especially the believers, they're, they're wondering what's going on, right? They've just stepped into this new faith and the old is passing away, right? The things that they once were or were once were, and now they're stepping into something that is new and new is exciting until new doesn't satisfy you. Right? New things are great until those things are no longer great. And what happens is you start to think about what was. You start to think about what you had. And a lot of times, if we're not careful, we'll go right back to what it was because where we're at isn't satisfying us any, any longer. We're, we're almost like a new believer who, who steps into this new faith, and the next day they lose their job. And they're like, oh, God, I thought you were going to give me everything. And your word says you would give me all the desires of my heart. It's like if a new believer steps into a relationship with God and immediately they lose the relationship that they're in with their so-and-so. And like a dog returned to its vomit, a believer returns back to the old ways. And so you've got these Jewish people who, who they're, they're all about the Messiah. You know, they're, they're, they're for God, but, but they're, they're, they're not wanting to stick around because of what they're experiencing persecution, they're experiencing shame, they're experiencing uh, a backlash, they're, they're experiencing all these things for this new faith that they stepped in. And they're like, man, it, it kind of was interesting and more appealing back where we were. Can I quote to you 
Warren Wearsby, he said, Christ came to build your life not on the instability of the temporal, but on the permanency of the eternal. How often are we so focused on now that we forget about what the end looks like? Our eyes are so set on what's happening here in the moment. And we're filled with fear in the moment because of what we see. We're, we're filled with shame in the moment because of what we're experiencing. And we're, we're enslaved to the things that have held us down for so long. And we can't really think correctly. We make irrational decisions because of the satisfaction that we're not getting or the discomfort that we're feeling. And then, then, what, then what starts to stir in our hearts is, man, I, I could just abandon all this because this isn't really working for me. Oh, you remember when you stepped into the faith, right? You were all excited about Jesus until that, that, that first paycheck didn't show up to your house. And you're like, what, Jesus, what, what, what happened? Until that relationship you thought you were going to get, you didn't get. Until that job you didn't get, you thought you were going to get. And all of a sudden, you now start to question because of what you're not getting. But can I, can I just remind you that this whole faith thing isn't about us getting? In fact, Christ didn't call us, call us to live a life of getting. He called us to live a life of sacrificing. I mean, this is why we open up our hands. If I wasn't living a life of sacrificing, then I wouldn't open up my hands. I'd just sit like, nothing wrong with people that do this. I'm just saying. I tend to be a little closed off if I'm like this. I tend to be closed fists. And what happens when you're closed fists is how can God give you something if your fist isn't open? And so I live with my fist open, my hands open, because not only can God take what it needs to take, but he can give what it needs to give. So the, 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 Jewish, the Jewish believers here are, are making irrational decisions because they're only set on what they can see. Can I remind you what Colossians chapter 3, verse 2 says? Set your minds on things where? Above. Not on below. James chapter 5, verse 7. It reads, be patient, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop. Patiently waiting for the, for the autumn and spring rains. To the, to the Jewish believer, I know what you have your eyes fixed on, but I need you to fix it on the faith that you just stepped into. I need you to realize that what you're going through has purpose, that your suffering has purpose, that your persecution has purpose, because remember, you are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. I mean, this is why he writes in the book of Hebrews 13 times the word better. Because Jesus is better. All, all the prophets that we talked about in, in chapter 1 and all the angels we talked about in chapter 1, Jesus is better. You know, you may think that Firehouse Subs has got the best subs, and they may be good. La Spada's, that may be good. Subway, that, that well, let's just forget about Subway right now. But, you know, you may have some sub places that are good, but public subs is better. Right? And what he's not saying is that all these things are evil. He's just telling you that Jesus is better. He brought you a better hope. He brought you a better covenant. And now he brings up somebody else that they have held with high esteem, put on a pedestal, a man by the name of Moses. Go to chapter 3, verse 1. Why does he bring up Moses? And can I remind you that Moses represents the law because the whole Jewish system and the religion came through Moses. So if, if these people were enticed to go back to Moses, then they were enticed to go back to the law. So look at chapter 3, verse 1. Let's read. Therefore, let's stop. 
<laughs> you can't read a therefore and then keep going on, right? What's the question you got to ask when you, when you say therefore? What's therefore? If you go back to chapter 2, Jesus is greater than the angels. He's greater than the prophets. He's crowned with glory and honor. He's tasted death. He, yet through that suffering, he brings us perfect salvation. He's conquered Hades. He's conquered Satan. We no longer have to be enslaved to our sin, enslaved to our death. He went through all the persecution, all the temptation to show us what it would look like when we would go through those things, not to fix our eyes on those things, but to fix our eyes on Jesus. So therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, who's he speaking to? The unbeliever? No, he's speaking to the believer. He's speaking to you. He's speaking to me. Tell somebody next to you, he's speaking to you as well. He's speaking to the believers, the family of God. He says, if you share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus. If you're reading from the New King James Version, it says, Consider Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and our high priest. Now, it's interesting that it uses the word apostle because I, I've been reading my Bible for a long time, and I'm like, Jesus was an apostle? Well, in, in the Greek, the word apostle was simply ambassador. It would be somebody who was a messenger sent by God to speak on behalf of God. So, yeah, we, we know about, you know, Paul the apostle. We know about James the apostle. We know about the disciples that were apostles, but what about Jesus? Jesus is the ultimate ambassador for the Father. Therefore, he is the great apostle. But he's not just the apostle, but he's our high priest. Again, he's using language that relates to the reader. Oh, we know what the high priest is. In fact, if you were here last week, my dad talked a little bit about the high priest, and we're going to talk about it in the weeks to come. But the high priest was everything to these people because it was the high priest that would represent them all, an entire nation, that would, on the Day of Atonement, one day a year, would step into the Holy of Holies and represent all of their sin. And their sin would all be forgiven. How many are you thankful that Jesus now is our high priest? That we don't have to wait one day a year to step into the Holy of Holies to seek forgiveness, but we can do it every single moment of our lives. So he represents, our, our, he's the apostle and he's the high priest. In other words, he brings revelation and he brings salvation. In verse 2, it goes on to say that he was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in God's house. Somebody say Moses. Now, now he's, the writer's stepping on some toes. Because Moses was everything to these people. Moses was revered and high he was esteemed. He, he, he was everything. I mean, the, the Jewish faith went through Moses, came out of Moses. If you look at the Islamic religion, the greatest prophet would be Muhammad. But if you look at the Jewish religion, the greatest prophet would be Moses. But what was so great about Moses? Remember the reporters asking the agent, Jesus' agent, do you know about Moses? Can I tell you how great Moses was? Can I tell you what separated Moses from the, from the rest? And I need you to go all the way to the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 12, if you have your Bibles. Page 122 in my book. I don't know, I don't know about your book. And if you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen. Numbers chapter 12. This, this is so fascinating. Because, you know, we're just going to read six, six verses in the, in the book of Hebrews chapter 3. But when you begin to dive and, and d dissect each of these passages, it's mind-blowing what, what, what God is doing and what is being shared. Because you have to know why the people were so set on Moses. Of course we know Moses. I've seen the Prince of Egypt. I've, I've read the story. I know the Psalms. But can I tell you something that might just blow your mind in chapter 12? 
Moses has freed the Israelites, or God has freed the Israelites from enslavement in Egypt, and, and they're in the wilderness. They're not yet to the promised land. And here we have in chapter 12, verse 1, an argument begins with none other than the brother and sister of Moses. Very uncommon for a brother and a sister to be arguing with their brother. It says, Miriam and Aaron begin to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Your translation may say an Ethiopian. Now, why are they arguing about his wife? Well, many would say because this is an interracial marriage, and they weren't for that. God is obviously for that, but apparently they weren't for that, or maybe she was a slave, or maybe it was because this isn't his first wife, and his first wife, Zipporah, had already died, and so this is their second wife, and they're just upset. Moses, how could you? You know what it's like, somebody bringing somebody into your household that you don't like, and you're like, don't, don't date that person. Moms, you know what I'm talking about. Please don't bring him home. Please don't bring her home. We've heard about her. We've heard about him. And Miriam and Aaron are like, are like, Moses, what are you doing marrying this woman? Again, we don't know exactly why they're upset, but they are upset because of this. In verse 2, it says, has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked Hasn't he also spoken through us? So now you get a little idea of what they're actually arguing about because certainly they're like, we don't like that you married this woman. And now they're going to ask this question. Um, God, you've certainly spoke through Moses, but you've also spoken through us. So now this looks like more of a shot at Moses' authority and his leadership. Now they're attacking Moses' pride, not necessarily his wife or his marriage. They're going after his pride. Well, how do I know that? Look at the next verse. Now Moses was a very humble man more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Now, I know I skipped something there. Because you have Moses and you have Miriam and Aaron who are now arguing against Moses' wife, and now they present this question. You've spoken through, of course God has spoken through Aaron and Miriam. We know that through the Bible. It says that. They speak on behalf of God. So why, is it, why are they asking that question? I think it's because they're wanting to share in the authority that Moses has. Man, God, if I could just be put on the same pedestal as Moses, then I can start to lead people. Can, can I tell you, because this is, I think, a lot of our mindsets. Lord, I can't really do what you call me to do until you give me a platform, but you don't need a stage to be leading people. You've got a row right there with some people. Some of you are like, man, I'm just ready to, I'm ready to run an organization. You can't lead your family. How are you going to lead an organization? And I think we're just waiting and waiting for God to put us on some platform, to put us on some stage, to then start investing, to then start leading, to then start bringing people to Jesus. And God's like, man, I just I put people around you, right, right in your neighborhood. I put your own kids right in your family. They're right there. Stop looking to receive some, some, some recognition. I called you to serve people's feet, not serve them while, while on a stage. Miriam, Aaron, I know you want to share in the authority of Moses, but I have appointed Moses only to lead these people. But let me go back to what it said in verse 2, because they're arguing, you know, God's spoken through Moses, but he's clearly spoken through us. And then notice what it says in verse 2. It says, and the Lord heard this. Yeah, somebody say, uh-oh. And, and the Lord heard this. this. This is great because now look at verse 4. It says that once the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, come up, come out of that, come out to the tent of meeting, all three of you. I mean, this is like, parents, you can relate to this. This makes so much sense to me. 
He's just calling his children who are fighting. He said, he said get in here. Well, let's talk about this right now. I got I to settle some things. I was driving in my car and I had my little nephew with me. And him and my son, they were arguing back there. They were, they were yelling. And, and my nephew kept calling my son a baby. And I had just turned the car on and they're, they're yelling. And I'm like, I cannot. I'm like, guys, stop yelling. And he kept calling my son a baby. And I, man, I put the car in park and I walk around to the back seat. I opened that back seat and I looked at my nephew and I said, my son is older than you. If anybody is the baby, you are the baby. I had to repent, but I was, I was sticking up for my son, right? He was calling my, I'm not, my son's a little shorter than him, but he's older than him. You can't call him the baby. He's older. God is like, Miriam, Aaron, why are you fighting? Get, get over here. Can I remind you of something? Can I speak some truth to you about the one that I have appointed? I want you to know how special this man is right here, Moses. And this is just fascinating. Because it says in verse 5, and then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud, and he stood at the entrance to the tent, and he summoned Aaron and Miriam. So now, now he's got, a, you know, just, just think about the scene with me. You got all three of them there. Moses is there, and Aaron and Miriam are like, oh, my goodness, we're in trouble. And Moses is like, hey, what am I doing here? What did I do, you know? Why am I, why am I getting in trouble? I, was, I wasn't a part. I was around. But here, Moses, stay. And then he, then he invites Aaron and Miriam over here, and he, he goes on to tell them what God thinks. And he said, listen to my words. That's a uh-oh right there, you know. He says, when a prophet of the Lord is among you, I reveal myself to him in visions. I speak to him in dreams. We can relate to that, right? Maybe some of us have seen visions. We've seen dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. There's that connection to Hebrews chapter three, where he is most faithful in, the, in God's house. Look at verse eight. When I speak with him, I speak to him face to face. I speak to him clearly and not in riddles because Moses sees the form of the Lord. Why then are, were you not afraid to speak against my service, servant Moses? I mean, he, he's just, he's just set. I mean, if I'm Moses, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, God, tell him. Tell my brother and sister how great I am. That's not what Moses is doing because Moses is the most humble man in the world, right? So it said in verse three. But God is like, let me tell you about my Moses. I speak to him face to face. Now, some of you are like, I thought that we could not see God face to face. In Exodus chapter 33, that's what it says. You cannot see the face of God and, and live. But God didn't say he sees me face to face. He says he speaks to me face to face. He's got a direct access to me. He could pick up his phone and dial it just like that. He could walk into a room and be right in front of me just like that. Direct access. Only Moses has got that. What do you have, Miriam? <laughs> what do you have, Aaron? Right? right? That, that's my son, and he is the oldest. He has, he has direct communication face to face with me. But he's also seen my form. Notice that it doesn't say he sees his face, but he sees his form. In Exodus chapter 33, Moses is like, all right, God, you told me I can't see your face, but can I just see your glory? And he said, even, even if you saw that face to face, you will die. But you know what, Moses? It's, just, it's crazy that God and Moses are having this conversation in, in Exodus chapter 33. 
He says, all right, Moses, I'll show you. I'll show you me. I'll show you my glory, but only my backside. And he gets Moses on this mountainside, and, and, he, and, and God in all his glory and his form walks by Moses, but he covers, covers Moses' eyes with his hand. And eventually, as he gets past Moses, he takes his hand off, and Moses sees the back of God, the form of God. Have you seen the form of God? We certainly see him in certain things and in people, but have you seen the form of God? Like Job said, who was communicating to God, and he said, I, I can make up some type of form, but I don't know what it is. You can't see the face of God and live. Moses sees the form of God, and he speaks to him face to face. What's so special about Moses? Prophets get me in visions. They get me in dreams. But Moses gets me and all my glory. What have you gotten? Now, the story goes on in Numbers chapter, chapter 12, where God's like, Miriam, because of all that, leprosy. You know, he's just like, leprosy, boom, just like that. And, and then Moses is like, God, can you, can you heal my sister? And he's like, all right, I'll heal her, but give her seven days outside the camp, and then she can come back in. Moses is everything to these believers. He led the Israelites out of Egypt. They were enslaved. He ushered in the, the, ten, the ten plagues in Egypt. He guided them through the wilderness. He, he brought the law of God down from Mount Sinai. He gets the people ready for the promised land. He's the most humble. He sees God face, or he speaks to God face to face. He sees the form of the Lord. And by the way, he did all of that in his 80s and older. I wonder what it would be like to have somebody in that old age governing an entire nation, doing it well. I don't know. But I guess the Israelites are like, man, I can't believe we got somebody in their 80s doing this. Without Moses, we don't have the Pentateuch. We don't have the first five books of the Bible. So if you're a Jewish parent, who else would you want your son or daughter to idolize, to look to, to be like none other than the great and mighty Moses? And Jesus and the writer is like, Moses who? Consider Jesus. Man, my car is great. It's got all these buttons and things. It barely runs, but it's great. Well, have you considered a brand new car? With no interest for the first 12 months and then an interest rate of 34%. But it's brand new. Have, have you considered a brand new car? Man, the relationship that I have, it ain't really working out. Well, have you considered a brand new relationship? You know, Moses is everything to these people. But have you considered Jesus? Now, I want to pause here before I go on. I'm going to get back to Hebrews chapter 2. I think we're only in verse 2. Uh, but let me get back to that. But I think it's an important question to ask because I think many of us are wondering why, if he's talking to believers, why he would tell them to consider Jesus. They've already considered Jesus. They've already accepted the Messiah. They have abandoned all their Jewish traditions and all their family and friends, and they have left that. And they're stepping into this. And, and now the writer is saying, consider Jesus? Or why do I got to consider Jesus? I'm already a believer. Well, can I tell you, yes, he's speaking to believers, but, but I think it's wrong to assume that believers automatically consider Jesus. Why else would he say in, in chapter 2, verse 1, we must pay more careful attention to what is being said so we do not drift away? Because I think at times for many of us, it's, there's just so many other things to consider in life. I think about four kids. The government has been part of the solution, by the way. 
The government is doing some things, but statistically, it's just not working for the government. So would you consider stepping into four kids? Would, would you consider an alternate that we know will change everything? This way, it may not be working how it should be, but here's a better way. Would you consider something else? Because what happens if, if, if we consider other things that are more appealing, that are more interesting, um, the danger is that we stop considering Jesus, we can start considering those things, and we drift, and we drift, and what do we drift away from? We drift away from the Bible and what it says. And pretty soon, the commandments of God in here don't really seem to be super clear to us anymore. In fact, I forgot what God said in that passage but I'm just going to keep doing my own thing. And in fact, we, we can get to a place where we've drifted so far that we actually never belonged in the first place. We never were partakers. We thought we were, but we weren't. We weren't partakers because we've gone so far and we've, we are now so gone. Would you consider Jesus? The prophets are great. The angels are great. Moses is even great. The law is good, and there's certainly benefits to that, but Moses and the law cannot and did not save you. Only Jesus can. Can I get an amen? You might be in some debt today, and you're trying to figure it out. Man, maybe the government will forgive it. Maybe I can win a lottery ticket to pay it, but have you considered stepping into a financial peace university class or something? You might be trying to diet and lose some weight. And man, I've tried this, but every time I go into Publix, I lose to the snack aisle. But, but I think if I could just get some other things or try to eat a little bit less, have you considered doing something else? Man, I got an injury. Anybody got an injury? I've got an injury and I'm trying to fix it and I'm trying to do what I can. Maybe surgery will fix it. Maybe I'll just wait around and, and see how it goes. Maybe I'll just push through. But have you considered meeting with a physical therapist who will help put a plan together for you. This, is, this makes sense to us because there are a lot of things that are appealing in this world. And I can consider that, and I can consider that. And I think at times what we do is we'll take parts of this Bible, parts of that book, parts of what that pastor said, and we have, we have put together uh, essentially a religion that just suits us and fits us really well, but it's so far from God because it's no longer God. And you could be 20, 30 years down the road um, submitting to a religion that isn't Jesus. Submitting to a way of life where you think, man, this is just all spiritual, a different, different kind of spiritual. You never want to be too far gone. Because you can try and do it your way or you can do it Yahweh. You can do your own thing or you can do God's thing. One's going to lead to disappointment and one's going to lead to encouragement. One's going to lead to, to, to no longer being satisfied, and one will lead to being fully satisfied. Which one are you going to choose? You want, you want freedom or you want bondage? Today, you choose. Tell me what you want, and I'll show you who to consider. Would you consider Jesus? Moses wasn't bad. He was great. But the writer is saying that Jesus was better. And let me put Moses in his proper relation to Jesus. Look at verse 2. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all of God's house. He had been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by somebody. But God is the builder of what? Of the house itself. In other words, God is the builder of everything. Now we get to this house analogy, and you're going to see it used six times in this verse or the next few verses. We're not talking about a physical house. We're talking about the people of God. 
There's a contrast here between Moses and the Messiah. Moses was, was a servant in the house, and the Messiah was the son over the house. In fact, you get into the deity of Christ now because he wasn't just a son over the house, but he built the house. And because he built the house, he is found more worthy of the one who sits in the house. You may sit in the house, but you didn't build the house, nor are you over the house. The one who's over the house is far greater. And I think about like the, the, these skyscrapers, and I'm just fascinated, maybe because I don't see them ever. And the occasional times I travel, and maybe I'm down in Miami, I see this building. And I'm, we're, we're all walking, and I'm just, I stop in mid-traffic, and I just look up there. And the two things I think is like, that's crazy. And then the second thing is, what if I fell off that? This is, I don't know why I always think that. Like, could you imagine? I'm not really afraid of heights, but if you were up there and you were looking down, I'm like, what happens if I just, you know? But I'm just, I'm just amazed. I think about something like the Eiffel Tower. Maybe you know what the Eiffel Tower is. You've been there? You know who built it? Can I tell you who built it? A man by the name of Gustave Eiffel. I didn't even know that. I had to look that up. He was a, it was a, the French government held a competition because they wanted to honor and recognize the French Revolution. And so they were like, build a tower, go. And 100 people submitted plans, and his plan was, was, was picked. What about in Dubai, a building by the name of the Burj Khalifa, the tallest building in the world? It's magnificent. I, I've like found myself on YouTube just watching like aerial shots of this thing for hours. And I'm like, what am I doing with my life? But I'm fascinated by it. You know who built it? Two Americans. From a, from a Chicago-based architectural firm, Adrian Smith and William F. Baker. Now, you probably know those buildings, and you think, man, those buildings are pretty cool, but I don't, you didn't really know about the builders, and, and that's okay. That's not wrong, but the danger is when, when we forget about who the master is behind the masterpiece. We could be so focused on the art itself that we have forgotten about the artist. We can be so captivated by what is captivating us that we have forgotten about the designer. And we say that is great rather than saying he is great. And we could even do this with our religion, by the way, with our faith. Man, I hold all that I do and all that I am and all that I belong to. And we've held that at a higher place than Jesus. We can even hold our own church. Man, I'm Victory Life Church. Man, I got the shirt Logo, I got logo on the back. I got the bumper sticker. I got it on my Bible. And I tell everybody about Victory Life Church. Do you tell everybody about God or Victory Life Church? What are you trying to build here? Where are you trying to send people to? I want you to send them to church for sure. But are you trying to point them to Jesus? What have you been considering? What have you been, what have you been, have you forgotten about the master? Have you been so focused on the masterpiece? To the Jewish believers, God sent you Moses to deliver you, but he was not your God. He was never supposed to be your God. He was one of a kind in, in that day, but Jesus is one of a kind every day. Come on. He's greater honor than Moses. Moses lives in the house. Jesus built the house. Let me, let me wrap this up. I, I heard a great analogy from John Piper. He explained it this way. Imagine there's a room full of decathlon contestants, and Jesus is one of them. Remember I told you Jesus was a, a basketball player? When I'm telling you Jesus is a contestant and a decathlon. And they're all there in their jumpsuits. You know, they just did their thing. And, and, and they're talking about who the greatest is. And one of them says, you know, I jumped the furthest today, so therefore I must be the greatest. One said, you know, I, I threw that javelin furthest, so therefore I must be the greatest. I shot, put it that ball I'm a, furthest, I must be the greatest. I hurdled the, the, the fastest, I must be the greatest. Meanwhile, Jesus is in the corner. 
in his jumpsuit, just chilling. And they're like, Jesus, what do you have to say? And Jesus responds, he said, I made all of you, therefore I'm the greatest. I made you jump, I made you throw, I made you hurdle. It was me, therefore I am the greatest. Don't ever elevate anything higher than the God that you believe in, that you have put your hope in, that you have put your confidence in. Don't ever think that you are greater. Don't ever think that somebody else is greater. And you'll convince yourself at some point in your life that you are God and he is not. Or maybe he is, but I'm greater. You know this whole like transgender movement going on right now? I wasn't going to share this. But I think that so many people are not just confused, but they have convinced themselves that they are greater at creating than God is. And therefore, who are you to tell me who I'm supposed to be? Let me just kind of rewind this and create myself how I want to be. And it's a spit in the face of God who created you in his image. He is your creator. And he loves you just how he created you. Sure, I'm confused at times. I don't know who I am. I'm I'm full of sin. I'm full of confusion. That doesn't mean that I, that I all of a sudden become my own creator and, and tell myself who I should be, who I can be. I know who I am because of Christ. And he loves you. And he knew you before you were even in the womb. And how he's made you and designed you is perfect. Amen. Don't ever elevate anything else. Let me just share these last few verses. Matthew, or Hebrews chapter 3, verse 5. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future, essentially testifying to what would be said in the future. And Jesus shows up, and he is that future, and he becomes what everybody is testifying about the future. Verse 6, Christ is faithful as the son over God's house. Remember in Numbers chapter 12, it says that Moses was faithful in all of my house, and now it's saying that God is faithful as a son over God's house. Moses was faithful in God's house. Jesus was faithful over God's house. He's greater. I want to end here because we are in this house. Verse six, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. If you got a pen and you have your Bible, I want you to circle that word if. Now, the writer's not suggesting that we must do everything that we can to keep ourselves saved. But what it is, it's saying if you hold firmly to the confidence, to the courage, to the hope that is in you because of him, you are saved. You have to understand as a believer, there's nothing that we can do to gain it. There's nothing that we can do to deserve it. There's nothing that we can do to acquire it. But it's simply sitting in a posture like this saying, God, I've I failed and I need you desperately. And he says, welcome home, my son. Welcome home, my daughter. And in what he puts in you is a confidence and a hope that is only because of him. You know, I could put my confidence in in the stock market and and, and I could fail. I could put my confidence in athletes and, and I could fail. I could put my confidence perhaps in my kids or in my car or in my job and, and I could, I, it could fail me. But the one thing that will not fail you ever is if you put your hope and your confidence in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter where you go. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter where you find yourself. You may be in a place right now where you are facing some giants and, and it's just like, no way, Jacob, can I conquer this? 
You gotta put on the same mindset that Joshua and Caleb put on when they stepped into, and they, they saw that land of Canaan and everybody was like, hey, there's too many giants and we can't do this. And Joshua and Caleb was like, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Therefore, I can overcome this. Not because of what I can do, not because of what I can bring. You think David could defeat a giant with the little that he had? No, it was what God had. And it was what God had given him. Maybe you're walking through some hell right now. Life seems horrible. You don't understand why. You're a believer, but all of a sudden you're losing this, you're losing that, you're confused. The bank account is in the negatives. The children are being disrespectful. You just can't seem to figure it out. You're saying, God, if only, if only you just showed up. Would, would you be there with me, Father? Do you not have that confidence that he's already with you? Do you not have that confidence and hope like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego where they were thrown into the fire? And this is what they said. We may surely die, but we believe that God will save us. But even if he doesn't, we'll still believe. We will still believe. And if we survive this, by the way, this fire that you're trying to use to kill us, if we survive it, we'll still not bow down to your God. We'll still not bow down to your way because we have a confidence and a hope in Jesus. It's Yahweh, it's not yours, and it's the best way. Moses is great, but Jesus is better. Some of you today are walking in, 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 a, in a false confidence because you have put it in something else. You've put it in a prophet like Moses. You've put it in a pastor that you watch online. You've put it in a church that you attend. And God is like, all while you, you, your end results will be sorrow, there'll be destruction, there'll be death because you're fearful, you're clinging on to something that will not last, would you cling on to me? Would you fix your eyes on me? Would you consider me? Can I jump to Hebrews chapter 10? Let us hold unswervingly, this is what it said in verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Does anybody want your destiny to be eternity with God today? Come on, would you stand to your feet? Come on. Anybody wants your destiny to be in eternity with God? Come, anybody already have that eternity with God? Anybody thankful for that? Come on, would you just thank God right here in this moment? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. I thank you that my confidence and my hope is in you and nothing else. Thank you for the blood, Father. Thank you for who you are. Thank you that you are the name that is greater than all of the names. You're greater than any other prophet that we read, and we love these prophets. We adore them, God. We listen to them, but they did not save us. Only you did. Only you took us out of that clay. Only you took us out of that dirt. Only you took us when nobody else believed in us, when nobody else wanted us. You were there for us, Father. And so I put all my hope, I put all my confidence into the name that is higher than any other name. Come on, you are greater, Father. You are greater. Come on, would you worship Him? Thank you, Father. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If this has blessed you, would you consider giving a financial gift to help bring this message to more people? You can do that at vlcministries.com give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Here's what we believe. Living God's way, everywhere, every way, every day. We love you and God bless.